You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hi, I'm Monica Toriello. I'm an editor with McKinsey Publishing. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. We'll be talking about a group of consumers today who are very important to consumer-facing companies. Specifically, we're talking about the elderly population in developed regions, and that means people 60 or older who are living in cities in Western Europe, the United States, and Northeast Asia. These consumers will contribute more than half of urban consumption growth in the next 15 years in developed markets. Joining me to talk today about this important consumer group are two McKinsey experts who've spent a lot of time studying and thinking about the changing consumer. First, we have Jana Reams, who's based in San Francisco. She's a partner at the McKinsey Global Institute and the co-author of the recently published report called Urban World, The Global Consumers to Watch. Thanks for joining us today, Jana. Thank you, Monica. A pleasure to be here. And second, we have Marcus Schmidt, who's a partner in the Munich office. He's been leading a research effort called Consumer 2030 with a focus on consumer trends in Western Europe. Thank you for being here, Marcus. Happy to join. Great. So let's start with some hard facts. Yana, the MGI report has a few figures that I think might be startling to some people. For example, in Western Europe and Northeast Asia, the urban elderly are the only age group that's actually growing in size. Another one. In developed countries, the elderly population will grow by more than one-third in the next 15 years, and they will total about 222 million people. And as I mentioned earlier, they'll account for about 51% of urban consumption growth, which is equivalent to over $4 trillion. These are big numbers. Do you find that consumer companies in general are aware of the importance of this consumer group? Young people tend to get the attention of marketeers and advertisers oftentimes. I think we can all honestly say that we hear more about millennials than we do about the older consumers. And I live in Silicon Valley where the tech industry tends to be very successful in capturing the imagination of the younger cohorts. Tech solutions have had a much harder time identifying what are the problems that older folks could use technology for. And I think there are many areas where we haven't really seen the rise of the older consumers. Of course, that's not all industries. Healthcare, older folks are the core business and they are very aware of the expanding market. The demographic shift is so dramatic that there is increasing awareness amongst companies that they will need to look and think about the shifting consumer markets in a quite different way. And I think it will be exciting to watch what kind of innovations, what kind of new ideas we'll see and hear about for that consumer segment. I think you could have two angles to look at that. The one question is whether companies are investing enough into targeting the elderly segment. But there's another angle. That's the question of the overall implication of the shift towards elder consumers in terms of volume and value growth of the categories the companies are playing in and how companies have to prepare for this shift. Let me elaborate on that quickly. If you have an economic view on elderly consumers and the overall growth implications, you recognize that there is a challenge also with elderly consumers because the growth is coming by the sheer size of the segment, but not necessarily by the wealth of this segment. Let me give you an example. So for France, we expect that 60 plus year old segment will have 20 to 30% less disposable income. And at the same time, they are growing twice to three times as fast as the segment of the 40 to 50 year olds. This basically means that overall growth is going down. And it's a pattern that, that you probably see not only in France, you see it in Germany, you see it all across Western Europe. The question is, are companies preparing for this slowdown? And I would say the picture is mixed. 
you have some players who have a long-term view in striving for consolidation and try to develop to a much leaner, let's so-called no-frills operating model to build the foundation to create value also in a uh, slow-growth environment. That brings me to the second question. So do they really focus on elderly consumers? We hardly see that right now. You see it partially in retail where you recognize that they are offering and changing their services and also their store layouts partially in respect to elderly consumers, but especially in the area of consumer packaged goods or so production, you don't really recognize that there is a big trend shift. So you're talking mostly about Western Europe. Marcus, but Jana, you acknowledge in the MGI report that it's a very diverse group of people. Do you see any distinct differences between the urban elderly, say, in Western Europe versus the United States versus Northeast Asia? What are some of the distinct characteristics of these groups? There are quite a few differences, and of course there are differences even within each one of these groups. So let me highlight three general areas where they are different. First of all, these regions are at different stages of aging. Clearly, in Japan and South Korea, the two countries that we include in our Northeast Asia region, the population is already aging much further. Full 40% of the region's consumption growth is going to come from the 75-plus age group. So that clearly is the fact that the aging is happening at the very higher end of the segment group, while in Western Europe and U.S., the rapid growth really is coming from the 60- to 75-year-olds, olds where baby boomers are shifting the peak cohorts of baby boomers are shifting into that age group. So that's the first factor. The second factor is that, of course, when you're looking at the consumption patterns, what matters is people's incomes. And for older folks, particularly after they become retired, it is the pension system that matters on their income. And that varies widely in terms of its generousness, in terms of the incentives people have to retire. And those matter a great deal across regions as well as within Europe, um, between countries. And that does matter because it changes the incentives of how people should behave and how much money they will have um, in the future. So, for example, one of the things is, is clear that in the U.S. we have seen a shift from defined benefits to defined contributions in pension systems. And that means that people have very different endowments based on how much they have saved, while before it was more determined by their income, which varied less. So that's a second factor. The third factor to look at is the consumption patterns. And this is interesting, again, because you see very clear differences in how the older folks see their consumption patterns. Traditionally, Northeast Asia has been a region where the older generations, both working age as well as the 60 plus, have invested heavily on the younger generations. Both in Japan and South Korea, the real transfers to younger folks was a source of the economic growth. And a lot of the people who are aging now, they bear the cohort that sacrificed a lot for the younger generation, and they continue to do that. They still see their role as supporting their children and grandchildren at times of needs, and they tend to be much more frugal in their spending patterns than what we see, for example, in baby boomers in North America that really broke that tradition within the cohorts. The previous generations tended to be saving more, consuming less. Baby boomers have really clearly been much more focused on their consumption, and we expect that those patterns won't change. So I think those differences will matter on what kind of choices these big consumption groups will do in the future. Older folks are increasingly more unequal, and their inequality is rising as fast as in all other segments, and it's still higher than anywhere else. And the reason for that is that we have moved away from defined benefits to defined contributions, and some people have saved more than others. At the same time, we have seen 
income inequality increase amongst the wage earners and capital gains obviously being accruing to a smaller segment. And that means that we'll have a much higher diversity and we'll have fewer and fewer average older consumers. So then to your question on what this means for consumer companies. The fact that older consumers are more unequals means two main things. The first one is that they really do need to know who their customer is. They need to target exactly who they are talking to because there is no such thing as an average consumer if there ever was. You really don't want to be caught on the middle. In addition to not being caught in the middle, the second imperative for companies is that they need to think of value for money for everyone. And the reason is that Everyone has more information today about all the products. All consumers have capacity to compare goods and services. So even those people who can afford higher value goods, they actually want to know what they get for their money. And I think that is a big change. There is more consciousness about price across the segments. It doesn't mean you can't differentiate, but you need to be able to communicate why your price is higher and what the consumer gets for that price. Marcus, I would love to hear your take on that, given all the work that you've done with consumer companies and specifically on Consumer 2030. There are some common traits on elderly consumers. Obviously, one is the thing around physical limitations that come over time. That also creates certain requirements to new products and how you package products and so on. Another topic I think that's relevant and that people have to think about is that the when you look at this segment, they experience one of the greatest disruptions in life. They're going from professional to, let's say, private or pension life. And that creates, obviously, a lot of spare time that has to be filled. And you will find segments that are very wealthy and are looking for new ideas on to fill, uh, basically, their life. That's something that consumer goods companies have to think of. I think the point you make, Marcus, is a great one. One of the biggest differences between the older segment and the prime age earners is the time available for them. So, for example, when you look at how much time they spend shopping for every dollar they actually spend, that's 25% more than the prime age folks. That means that they make their choices differently. They, ha they spend more time. They are more thoughtful on how they make those choices, which, again, emphasizes the need to be really focused on understanding their specific needs and willingness to pay. At the same time, they are actually looking to spend that time somehow. So consumption that is combined with time spent enjoyably is actually a good thing. It may be shopping experience. It may be that your transport choices are more determined, not by speed and cost, but the scenery you see on the way, etc. I think there's a broader point. When you look at, for example, on the time spent in sports and outdoor activities in the US, over 90% of the growth in that time is going to come from the 65 plus age group. That Time spent, which they would probably rather spend with their children and grandchildren, is a huge untapped opportunity. They might want to choose it to spend with their family and invest on their family. They might choose to spend it in community services. They might want to spend it in, in sports and staying fit. They might want to pick up other hobbies that are completely new. And consumer companies that understand what's happening in the minds of these consumers, what kind of food, beverages, gear, clothing they need to go with these nude activities is actually uh, surely a small, fragmented, but rapidly growing segment. Yeah, and to add on that, I think you have the trade-off between 
the needs and also the emerging needs in other age segments. Just think of working moms, a change in household structures. Basically, people are looking for convenience and getting things done in a shorter frame of time because they have just actually so much to do. The opposite is true for the elderly people. And just give you a lively example um, about grocery online retail. So delivering stuff to home of people. You would argue that this is something that's really attractive for elderly people because they don't have to carry the, the big stuff. But in fact, that's not true. In fact, it's very interesting for moms with kids who have a ton of stuff to do and just don't have time to go to shop. And for the elderly consumers, this is just one of the exciting things that happen throughout the day. Exactly, Marcus. My first job to be working on a supermarket and I was selling warm bread that I packaged myself and the supermarket was next to an older folks home and there were people who came to buy one very tiny piece of bread every day and they spent 15 minutes chatting with me every day. I knew I was part of their social life and part of my job was to make their day. The urban elderly today, they're not only very different from each other, they're very different from their, from previous cohorts of the same age, right? For example, they're retiring later in life, they're more ethnically diverse, they're more educated, and they're more active, as you alluded to. Um, does that mean that, that consumer companies basically need to throw out everything they thought they knew about the elderly from previous cohorts? I think this trend that you just mentioned is actually an opportunity for consumer goods companies because, as you said, they are getting more active, which means they are getting more interested and flexible. So they're becoming more interesting to um, offer them new products and also to win them to buy new products and to overcome, let's say, their traditional styles of, of doing stuff. It is pretty clear that baby boomers throughout their whole life have been breaking things. They have come in and they have done things in a different way. And it is the baby boomer generation that is aging now. And we should expect them to break things uh, and definitely break a lot of the stereotypes of what elderly folks are. So I think there is something to what you say that we need to throw away a lot of the dated and often inaccurate even today stereotypes of, of older folks, particularly for companies for whom that has not been in focus. For me, what is fascinating to think about is that this is now such a large segment that a lot of the niche markets that we didn't even want to think about before are going to be really attractive markets for their size. Older folks are actually relatively high spenders because of the fact that they have high incomes in developed economies and the downturn of the last 10 years has actually hit them much less than it has hit many of the younger segments, particularly the new entrants to the labor market. The consumption spending is still relatively high and that means that they can be, even a smaller group in this larger pool can be very attractive. And I think we will see a lot more differentiation. So let me give you a few examples. Let's take nursing homes. In the US we traditionally used to think our old stereotype of gated communities in the southwest with the golf course. That's probably not the case for most baby boomers. And we are already seeing very different solutions being offered by folks. There is a Asian community for older living in the Bay Area where I live, and they have Cantonese and Mandarin speaking staff. They have Taiji and calligraphy classes instead of Zumba, for example. You have an escapist care center in Livingston, Texas, that offers services for folks who want to continue to live in their RVs, and they can just drive in, get doctors and meals delivered into their house. So I think all of this just talks to the fact that we'll see much more differentiation 
within the older older consumers and the baby boomers, they will want to do it their way as they always have. I think they will actually come up with many solutions that will be very attractive to the younger segments too. Have you seen any examples of companies that are trying to target the urban elderly but are doing it in a suboptimal or ineffective way? I would say the first thing is that you should start as a consumer goods company to learn what the target group is actually. Just as an example, when our clients do consumer research and they set the sample, basically the sample starts at 19, which is fine, or 20, which is fine because then people start to cons consume a lot, but it typically ends at 60. Yeah, So they are not even interested of what happens afterwards. And this is a complete white spot. I would say it's very different also in terms of when you look at services or when you look at um, products. So um, in the retail space, for example, there is no way around that. So their target group is aging and what they do. So you see the shopping carts with the magnifier glasses. You see, uh, rarely see any retail stores who don't have a toilet yeah, because that's just a no-go um, if you are in the more in this elderly segment. And they have understood that and they are moving. This sounds like tiny bits and pieces, but transitions in retail are pretty long-term perspectives. Uh, this is happening already like for 10 years or so, or five years. So Marcus, you drew the distinction between services and products. And indeed, you know, one of the, the uh, facts in the MGI report is that growth in services is outpacing growth in consumption. Is there any way that consumer companies you think can get into the services game? And if so, are there specific things they should do or could do to serve the urban elderly there? Difficult question, actually. I would say generally, if you look at a manufacturer, going into service is just not in their DNA. So what you see is basically that they're offering solutions. You see now washing machines that already have an automated refill system and so on. Or look at Shave Club, these kind of services where you go direct to consumers, basically cutting out the middleman. But when it really comes to the core of services without a product, I hardly can imagine that they moved into that area because it's just so far away from where they're coming from. There is one way in which services will matter for the older consumers, particularly in light of the income differences. We hear a lot of talk of the gig economy, and most people tend to focus again on the younger workers. However, when actually looking at the folks who are working there, it is the older consumers, it's the older households that are the biggest rise in the gig economy. It is the people who are between wanting to work and wanting to retire and who want to take a little bit more time. It is the people who want to start monetizing some of their assets, their housing. They might rent part of their house or build a room on the back that they can rent out. Sharing economy has huge potential to change how older consumers get part or in some cases more than part of their, of their income. That is again going to influence what kind of things they buy, where do they invest, and how do they consume? And that is something to keep in mind. And just one example, it used to be that 55 plus year olds did roughly a third of all of the housing renovations in the US. Now they do more than half. 
So with older folks trying to make most of the assets they have and aging in place, we are probably going to see some interesting solutions of, for example, some older folks who have practical skills that the younger generations may not have and the power tools to execute, they might actually start renting themselves out just for the fun of it and just for the social connections of being able to help in the town. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that will probably change significant niches, in some cases even parts of the, of the markets of goods and services that we traditionally have a very set idea of how people use them. Both of you in articles that you've written have said that consumer companies today have a much bigger challenge when it comes to understanding consumers and meeting their needs, in part because there's such a diversity. What do you think is the single most important thing that a consumer company CEO should do about this? With the increasing fragmentation of the elderly consumers, as well as all consumers, if I had to choose one thing for consumer company CEOs to do well, it would be understand and execute against the digitalization in their segment. And let me explain what I mean by that. Given how wholeheartedly consumers are going digital now, and given how much innovation there is, there is no industry that won't be transformed in one way or the other by digitalization. And that means that even though we may have been busy worrying about the, the short-term macroeconomic fluctuations, that's probably the biggest tsunami for most companies coming ahead. So understanding how that will play out in your market um, overall, and then being able to make sure that you are a shaper and not a follower on that game. And at the same time, you are able to have those digital tools to understand the niches we have been talking about. Because it is only if you are able to understand the relative sizes, the locations, and the preferences of the different kinds of segments that you are able to target and deliver what you want and what they need. To build on that, I would say one of the key questions is, how do you build an operating model that's able to serve all these niches without drowning in complexity? Because most of these companies in Western Europe, and I'm now focusing on Western Europe or mature markets, they are focusing on increasing scale, driving down costs to be able to create value in a slow growth environment. But the operating model and the organization that's behind that structure, just think of the supply chain and factories and so on, is completely the opposite of what you need to serve and cater a multitude of small and diverse niches, basically meaning you need an agile development process that helps you to uh, reduce time to market and investment for a new product. You need a production line to cater small lot sizes for small target groups. And how do you combine this trend of going into scale and reducing costs versus building up this agile model in one organization, that's a big challenge. So that's a lot for CEOs to think about, and I think we will end here. Thank you very much, Jana and Marcus, for your time today. And thanks to all of you listening today. To read more about the changing consumer landscape, please see our series of articles on the new consumer on McKinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at McKinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.